Now on RTE Radio 1, Arts Tonight, presented by Vincent Woods. Hello and welcome to Arts Tonight. On this edition of the programme, Rufus Wainwright, musician, singer and composer. An interview with the artist recorded recently in the Model Arts Centre as part of the 2015 Sligo Live Festival in association with the US Embassy's Creative Minds series. To begin with, Rufus Wainwright introduces the first song he performed in Sligo. The first is from my new opera. It's called uh, Prima Donna. It's on Deutsche Grammophone, and it is available. And uh, do get it. It's in French. It's a, it's a day in the life of an opera singer. And uh, it's, this is the last aria. It's called Les Feux d'Artifice Tapel. Artifice t'appelle Descends Dans la rue Thank you so much. A great pleasure, of course, to be here in the model in Sligo, and a particular pleasure for me to meet Rufus Wainwright, uh, one I should of say, the Ru- sublime Rufus, my, voices my, Yes, thank time. you so much. My full name is actually Rufus McGarrigal Wainwright. Indeed, so yes. So that is my full name. There will so be <laughs> plenty of reference of the McGarrigal side as well. One of the great sublime voices oh, thank you. in time, uh, and one of the most consistently inventive and original musical artists across a diverse range of music, opera, pop, his own kind of Baroque, in a way, in a subtle, indefinable Rufus Wainwright sound. I've seen him in performance, and he's generous and witty in, in live performance, and he's also, it seems to me, a man who's never afraid to say what he thinks <laughs> or to take a stand for his beliefs and passions. Is it your first time in Sligo? I think so. <laughs> uh, many years ago, uh, as I said before, my name is, uh, is Rufus McGarrigal Wainwright, and that's because my mother's maiden name was McGarrigal, Kate McGarrigal of the McGarrigal sisters' fame. And uh, they toured Ireland a few times, and I, my, my sister Martha and I came with them, and we may have come here. I'm not sure, but it's, uh, it's, it looks pretty Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, um, I was thinking about that, about your mother's links to here yes. and Kate and Anna's links to Ireland. Also your dad's yes. coming to Westmeath okay. at times. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, and I wonder if their awareness of, of Ireland and of Irish music and their work yeah. with Irish musicians in some way coloured your own attitude towards this country. Very much so. I mean, I, I've always had the impression growing up uh, and, and coming, you know, to, 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 to Europe and, and for, you know, first Great Britain and then Ireland, um, that there is arguably, and, and I'm sure everybody here would agree, uh, a, a, an equal pull towards the United States as there is to Europe and England uh, when you're in Ireland. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real toss-up, funny way to put it. Um, so, I, so I was always keenly aware of that. With my mother, it was more, and my aunt, it was more career-wise, 
uh, we came over here and, and there was everybody in every town um, always had a sense of who we were immediately, um, we, you know, and, and knew the whole, you know, backstory of, of, of why we were there and how long, you know, it was interesting. But that, whereas my father, um, he has, he had a lot of, he has, he's still around and he still, he has a lot of friends in Ireland. And so with him, it was more about just the personalities who he acquired over his life, over, over his life. Uh, I was talking to the poet and publisher Peter Fallon. Yes, Peter um, Fallon was, is one Gallery of them, Press, yes, yes. Great friend of your dad's. Yeah, Peter is... Fallon and Paul Brady and my friend Renee Lawless, who I think I saw in the audience. Yes, okay, here, she's here. here. Hi. Yeah, here. <laughs> uh, and Peter had great memories of your parents visiting Loch Crew in yes. decades ago and also of you coming yes. as he thinks of teenager, about 13. Yes, yes, yes. There's a great image of you climbing trees. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, that was back when I was able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, your dad also uh, sings a lovely version of a great Irish song, Carrick Fergus. Okay, great, yes, great. Is... I didn't know that. <laughs> but... <laughs> you, you learn something learn. new every day. I'm actually yeah. working... One of, the, one of the people who I hung out a lot here with with my dad was mm. Paul Brady. We we went and saw him, um, and hung out with him. And uh, he's since come to a few of my concerts. And um, and I'm a- I'm actually now learning, trying to put together a, a version of of Arthur McBride. <laughs> so I'm on verse two of you know, <laughs> eighty. <laughs> but, Wonderful uh, song. We'll see. I'll that see you in great ten years. Recruiting song. <laughs> I was thinking about that musical lineage. Yes. And it has meant a great deal to many people in Ireland. Yes. I mean, many of us grew up listening to and loving the sound of the McGarrigal sisters yeah. and Loudon Wainwright. Yes. And not even putting the two together. You know, yeah. We, we, we had them almost as separate influences. And it struck me that it's almost like this griot tradition in West Africa, where you, there's a line of music carried through family and through yes. generations. Yes. And I wonder if you felt like that early on, that you were almost born yes. into music and born yes. into the, the grace yes. and gift of music. Yes. Well, I mean, what, what, what's interesting about our family, and in fact, this is a, a bit of a shameless plug at the moment for my, my Aunt Anna and my Aunt Jane are about to publish a book called Mountain City Girls, and it's about their childhood in Canada growing up in Montreal and, and northern Quebec. And... Uh, one of the elements of the book is that um, my mother was born when her mother, who was one of 13 children, which is very Irish, my grandmother was 42 when she had my mother um, in 1944. So they were, so everything was a bit late. I think my grandmother, after being one of 12 or 13, didn't necessarily want to have kids and waited as long as she could, but ended up having, you know, three daughters, and my mother was the youngest, but still, they were, they, they skipped a whole generation, and, not, and that whole generation, i.e. pre, you know, Frank Sinatra, pre kind of, even the Second World War, like my grandfather was in the First World War, were highly connected to, 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 to their Irish heritage. In fact, they were even kind of still part of Ireland. I mean, Canada only became into, was only left the empire um, uh, early in the century. So, so it was it was really, and they were from St. John's, New Brunswick, which is even more Irish than than, than Quebec certainly. So, so yeah, so it was a, always a keen um, connection, um, and very different from I think the American one, um, uh, the Canadian one. It was less of this kind of cops and <laughs> you know kind of running away from the, I mean though I think we we came from the famine as well but it was it was less integrated it was still more connected to the to, to the to the old country 
that sense of a dual identity, yes. American and Canadian, yes. uh, has that been important to you very, uh, as, yeah. as an artist? Yeah, no, very important. When I'm in America, I'm a Canadian. When I'm in Canada, I'm an American. <laughs> it's a great way to... <laughs> it's been very helpful to not fit in anywhere. <laughs> but I presume as well that the presence of another language, of French... Yes. ...would have been important for you, would have been... It would yes. Have been a, it, again, would have, would have coloured something and a way of looking at the world. And yes, music. yes. I mean, I mean what's, what's funny about Canada and, and the Irish experience there in Quebec is that it's highly connected to the French culture because there was definitely this... Um, they were both the uh, peoples of the, of, uh, under the thumb of the English. But, uh, so, so, for instance, my grandmother was half Irish and half French. And, her, and, uh, and then my, you know, so it goes back, way back. So it's been a long connection. So, yeah, the French, French has always been very, very important. In my and Montreal, I imagine, Montreal, as well. Yeah. Yes, a, yes. A very important centre yeah. for you. Yeah, well, I consider Montreal more, probably my primary ancestral home I mean, you know my, my my where my soul resides is probably in Montreal even though I don't live there now um, and I don't even consider it necessarily part of Canada or Quebec I almost think of it as this strange sort of city state that uh, is pretty good for songwriters so <laughs> when did you begin to really engage with music to to, uh, to write and and play Oh, God. Well, my mother claims that I sang at six months. <laughs> Sadly, she's no longer with us, and we, we, there's no way to prove it. Uh, but, but, uh, but she claims that I could answer her uh, when she sang Old MacDonald Had a Farm. I would sing EIO, and then she would modulate, and I would modulate with her at six months. I, I have since had a daughter. I have a daughter who's four and a half. I don't think my mother was telling the truth. <laughs> but <laughs> when did you consciously begin? Uh, but but to work that with being music? said, I, there, I have no conscious memory of it whatsoever. It was, I was singing all the time, and um, there was a kind of uh, uh, already a, a dialogue that, that was set up between my parents in terms of songwriting, and also between my mother and her sister, where where this whole kind of parallel conversation was was going on and and uh, and immediately you know they, my mother wrote and dad wrote a song about me right before I was born so so it even started before you know I, I came out so so it was uh, it just never I never knew it's very interesting my I have, a, I have a, a younger sister my youngest sister Lexi Lexi Kelly is actually her last name it's a good Irish name but she um, believed for a long time, um, up until maybe you know ten years old, that every human being had a CD. <laughs> like it was a natural. It was like part of your body or something. Like like you laid CDs or something. But um, so so it was a bit like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole business of composition is is fascinating. Anyway, in, in Ireland, you know, the, the, many of the old musicians never called themselves composers, yeah. but they made tunes, yes, and yes. they played them, and yes. they went into the tradition. Yes. So now these tunes are played, and they have particular names. Nobody knows who wrote them, yes, uh, yes. but they're here, and they're part of a big landscape of music. Yes. Um, and I suppose the ownership, again, of, of music is, is something very particular. Yes. Um, and I remember seeing you um, in concert in Dublin a few years ago in the Ivy Gardens, uh, and you made a very passionate, short little speech at the end, asking people to continue to buy 
uh, CDs right, and buy right, music right. and support artists. Right. So I presume that's something you would feel very strongly about. I think I gave up on that after that speech, <laughs> probably. No, I mean, it's gotten so confusing now in terms of how to buy stuff and where to, to you know, promote your work. Um, you know, I just put out my first opera, um, uh, Prima Donna, on Deutsche Grammophon, um, which I'm very proud of, and that is an actual CD, and it has this kind of, you know, iconic label, that yellow label that, that a lot of great classical recordings have. So that's meant a lot to me visually. Um, please go out and buy it. <laughs> uh, but it is, I don't know, it does... It, it, it seems to be moving so quickly, you know, uh, the, the the way music is is, is disseminated and um, and and and, uh, and and so tricky in terms of, of how to, to to make a living off of it that I don't, I, I no longer um, feel the need to you know you know fight for any particular cause. I what I do think though is that is that. I, I do think people should go to hear live music. I think I think people should should see concerts and. Um, so do so do that at least. <laughs> how did you how did you raise the money uh, for the recording of uh, Prima Donna? Prima Donna, there's a there's a, a great uh, a company called Pledge Music where you where one helps another uh, achieve their artistic goals and uh, and 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 opera for me uh, is a perfect candidate for that type of crowdfunding concept because it is. So such a massive undertaking involves so many people, so much money, so much time, and and is really not supported by the government anymore, and and and, and no longer has this kind of uh, cushy ivory tower to, to reside in, and um, and but but yet it's still so important musically and so kind of um, worth it. Uh, you know, you're going to get if you. To help create an opera is, is, is really, you know, you, you, the employment that you're creating for that, that amount of people and the kind of intellectual questions that you're, you're able to ask in that, in that realm are, are really great. So, so I think actually opera should be crowdfunded because people should feel involved in that, in that medium. And they haven't really in the past. It's been too, too elitist. So it's a good way to yeah, do that. Yeah, and I think we're all aware of, of that danger of elitism in, in opera. Yeah. Uh, do you find that you can attract a fairly young audience to, to the opera that you Yeah, do. well, I mean, I think if they feel involved in the process, that's one way of doing it. Another thing that I find that's very interesting about opera that I would, that I would bet put my money on in terms of making it more attractive is that so much pop music has become so commercial and so kind of uh, supported by companies and, you know, sneakers and whatever, and, 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 and really the furthest thing from rock and roll you could ever imagine, you know. Um, whereas... With opera, um, you still have to. I don't know. It's it's not about making money. It has to be done um, without microphones. So 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 you know you're already. So so it's very unique in that way, and and uh, and so it's really based on like the musician's prowess, um, and it's and it involves you know drama and and uh, and and there's you know 800 years at least of music to choose from. So it's I could see it as a very attractive kind of option for those who are a little tired of having, you know, sneakers shoved in their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the performance of Prima Donna in in Athens. Yes, yeah, no. uh, Which sounds fascinating. Yeah, no, we did, we have, there's a concert version of Prima Donna that I'm touring presently, um, uh, occasionally, not, not, I'm not on the road all the time with it, but it's, uh, it's an hour's worth of the opera, 
with visuals by this very famous artist named Francesco Vizzoli, and we took um, uh, we took these amazing old Maria Callas costumes, actual costumes, and got my friend Cindy Sherman, who's who's really America's greatest living photographer, in my opinion. Anyways, but she dresses in the costumes and we filmed it and it goes with the concert. It's kind of a multimedia event. So we do that for an hour and then the second half of the show I come out and sing. Anyways, we premiered it in Athens at the Acropolis and uh, it went, it, we pulled it off and it's going to go to Lisbon in, at, at the end of November and then it's going to Buenos Aires to, um, and a few other places. So it's, I don't know, it's a way... Instead of sneakers, I'm shoving opera down your mouth. So, <laughs> <laughs> rather more attractive. Uh, it must have been special to perform there near the. Yes, Acropolis. well, it was special. It was also it was a little nerve wracking as well. I mean, Greece, as we all know, is, has has been uh, having a bit of a time. And there was actually one moment when we weren't sure. The government actually came in and said, "Look." You can do your concert, but nobody's get nobody's taking any money out of the country. <laughs> so we dealt with that, uh, thankfully, and, um, and 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 it was marvelous. The the, the the Greeks were marvelous. I mean, there's a great story about Greece that uh, someone told me years ago, and 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 I was reminded of it while I was there because the people really are so fantastic. They're 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 wonderful, wonderful people. And there's a story where. Um, let God or whoever, let's say that is, uh, or what force that be, he or she was is making the planet Earth, and um, and he's he's handing out all the countries, you know, China, the Chinese, the United States to the to the Americans, Native Americans, I should say, um, and uh, and all of that, and then finally he's done doing it, and then at the end, he, and he's given away all the countries, and then Greece comes, the Greeks come by, and they're like, oh. But we don't have a country, and and then God says, "Well, you were too late. I mean, I'm 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 sorry. I have nothing left." And then they go, "Oh, but we didn't want to bother you. You look so busy, and and you're such a hardworking fellow, and 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 we were shy, and and da, da, da. anyways, he ba- the Greeks basically charm God, and then God turns around and says, "Okay, I'll give you my country." <laughs> <laughs> And we thought and that it was really Ireland. And really felt like that. And, yeah, you thought it was Ireland. <laughs> or maybe Italy. <laughs> um, opera. Uh, yes. you're, you're writing another, another opera. Yeah. Uh, Hadrian. Hadrian, yes. Uh, with a rather wonderful love story. Yeah, about at, Hadrian at and Antinous. Yeah. Antinous, I should say it properly. It's sort of the ancient Greek, Greco-Roman gay love fest. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, that's, I think, for, what, 2018 that's two, two, eight, in Montreal? 2018, yes. in, in Toronto, actually, mm. at the Canadian Opera Company. Had you been working on that before you wrote I was, Privaton? yes. I, 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 I've been one, there's a very famous book called uh, Mem- Memoirs of Hadrian, which was by uh, Yursenar, Margaret Yursenar, which I'd read many years ago, and that's sort of what the opera's based on. Is we've, I've actually developed it into a, another idea afterwards, but um, but she's definitely... In there, and um, yeah, and I wanted to write an opera about it, but I knew, having you know, dropped out of music school, not continued my studies, gone into the pop world, really immersed myself in showbiz, that to kind of tackle an opera about the Roman Empire was was maybe a little over my head uh, in terms of what I wanted to um, express, or mostly orchestrally. Um, so, so when Prima Donna came around as a subject, I immediately felt the 
capable of, of, of just writing an opera about an, a singer and, 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 and having it take place in one day and, and being, you know, a very simple story surrounding four people. But now I'm on to, you know, the choruses and the slave dances and the, <laughs> the beheadings and stuff. It's great. Um, <laughs> and I th- you're working with the librettist. Yes, uh, yes. Daniel MacGyver. Daniel MacGyver, yes, yes, playwright. Great Canadian well. playwright, and, yeah. And it, is that... Is that enjoyable? Is that is that a challenge to to, to work closely with, with uh, another person to music and words? It's I wouldn't say enjoyable is the right word. Uh, it's cer- certainly fulfilling, uh, exciting when it really works. Um, and then, but then, like any c- composer re- um, librettist relationship, it's it's one of the trickiest artistic um, collaborations you can that exists, uh, especially when you know. Daniel, dear Daniel, um, realizes that uh, I really have the last word. <laughs> As all composers do with opera, they just do. <laughs> so, so that's sort of the way it goes. <laughs> uh, you're visiting Sligo in a very particular year, 150 years since the birth of, of William Butler Yeats. Yes. And your daughter's grandfather, if I can put yes, it like that, yes, Leonard, Leonard Cohen, Leonard Cohen. Uh, has played at Lissadell House. Uh, really? oh, close wow. to here, wow. strong associations with Yeats, and has often spoken of his admiration for, yes. for Yeats' yes. poetry. Um, and I've sometimes thought about Yeats' is a great line, uh, things fall apart, the centre cannot hold. Yes. And then this Cohen's line of there's a crack in everything. Right, That's how the right, light gets in. Right, right. I often thought they're almost connected thoughts in a sense, it's a similar way of looking at the same thing. Yes. Um, has Leonard Cohen spoken to you at all ever about Ireland, about he's a very, very well, loyal. Well, I know. He, I, you know, I, I speak with Leonard occasionally. Um, he, how can I say this? He, he definitely. You know, I mean, I consider him a, a, a close friend. I consider him a, a family member. That being said, I, you know, he's he he is. You're still speaking with Leonard Cohen, uh, <laughs> and and he's always maintained. He always maintains a, a kind of mystical. Wall uh, between him and the world, um, um, so it's so it's uh, it's always a bit tricky. But but he's he's been very kind, you know, to me over the years, and 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 I do know of his love of Ireland mostly through his daughter. She told me how much he loves it, and uh, I mean that whole generation, you know, whether it's him or Joni Mitchell or all of those people are so incredible and so valuable and, and, and thankfully still with us, but mm-hmm. not for long, you know, um, things will change. And so I think it's just, it's great to just uh, cherish them and uh, get as much as you can. But I, I'll ask him more. I'll tell him yes. I was here. I <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, Thinking of Yeats, uh, the writer Kevin Barry, who's here in the audience, uh, suggested recently that Yeats was really a thwarted Southern California. Okay. <laughs> that, that he, he should have lived in Southern California. Um, great idea, but I, I think we might have missed the, the rather splendid darkness yes, and missed yes, the work yes. given off in the sun. Um, but think, speaking of anniversaries, um, big Shakespeare year yes, coming up next year, yes, 400 yes, years since yes, his death. Yes. And you've made these arrangements of some of the sonnets. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but, I think you have an album coming out. Yes, next year. no. I, the, my next release will be uh, once again for Deutsche Grammophon, but it's a, it's an album. I think we're going to call it "Take All My Loves." Whether that's sort of the title we have at the moment, but it's, it's um, twenty sonnets that I wrote music to. Half of them, I'm singing, mostly myself. I'm also I I've 
Florence Welsh is going to come sing with me on a few, apparently, um, from Florence and the Machine. And uh, so that's sort of the pop side. And then the other half are, 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 are classically orchestrated that I... That I that I worked on, and and there's a great singer, Ina Prohaska, who will be singing those. Um, so yeah, no, I've been, and it's in it in conjunction with the um, 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death. So I'm stuck. Sorry, Yates. I'm <laughs> I'm in a Shakespearean uh, s- stronghold here. Um, but it is it is quite. I mean, I have to say, it's been. I, I don't know. I, I'm just very fortunate uh, to have a, the life that I have and to be able to really um, inhabit the, these works and um, yeah, and, and singing them over and over again and every time learning something different and, and figuring out some other angle and, and realizing that it actually means the opposite of what you thought it meant the whole time. You know, like just these things that Shakespeare does and it's like, oh my God. We'll never, ever figure this out. You made a theatrical version as well with yes, Robert Wilson. with Robert Wilson, the in great. In Berlin. Yes, yes. The Berlin Ensemble. A yes. friend of mine saw that three times. Oh, wow. And oh, said wow. it was one of the most beautiful things yeah, you've ever seen. Yeah, no, it's a, it a great piece. I'm a big Bob Wilson f- fan, obviously, and, and, and a friend of his. But, um, you yeah, know, we did it there. They just did it in Seoul, Korea, actually. It was, it was in Korea. So. What drew you to the sonnets in the, in the first place? Well, my mother... <laughs> I mean, this is a terrible story, but um, but my mother, um, when I was growing up as a teenager, um, I think she realized that I was sort of, you know, being a teenager and maybe, you know, staying in my room a little too long with the door closed. <laughs> what are you doing in there? Um, and, um, and at one point she said, you know, Rufus... Um, uh, I don't, she, I don't, she certainly didn't mention the word masturbation, but uh, but she did say, you know, sh- Shakespeare wrote a sonnet about what you're doing. <laughs> 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 the expensive spirit and a waste of shame. I was like, oh, he's cool. Okay, so let me read it. <laughs> it's it's lust and action. <laughs> so I think that that just was sort of her way of I don't know. Educating me. <laughs> uh, your mother was an extraordinary woman. Yes, she was. She um, was. And again, seeing Kate and Anna McGarrigal in concert yeah. a couple of times. And yeah. They carry this extraordinary spirit of both of, of a, a, a sense of celebration of music and yeah. a questioning of things. It was, it was always yeah. a slight tension around things, yes, too, which, was, yes. which probably made it more interesting. But mm. I wonder, sometimes, I, I know when... When my own mother died in, yes. in 1992, um, somehow out of out of that experience, I found a, almost a wave of of strength for a yes. while, of a kind of spirit that carried me. And I wouldn't name it anything right. or call it anything, but yeah. I wonder if yeah. If well, the most important thing that some that someone told me during this whole experience is that after my mother died, they said your mother. She gives birth to you twice, once when you're born and once when she dies. And it was very much that experience that occurred. Um, It's been five years since her passing, and, uh, you know, I still am haunted by it. I'm still kind of, you know, devastated in a sense. But on the other hand, I don't know, it's... Uh, it's it, she. She did a great job, at both with Martha and myself, and it was a success, you know. So, so it's a joyous thing in the end. But um, I don't know. I, it is. Uh, she, she. She. She did a really great job. So, 
What more can you do? Yeah. <laughs> Carry the spirit. Yes. Um, I'm sure you know that uh, the Republic of Ireland here voted yes. recently in favour of marriage equality. Yes, and yes. So the first yes, same-sex marriages will yes, happen yes, later this yes. year. And so it's a long way from what would have been a common perception of Ireland yes, internationally yes, yes. as this conservative... Yeah, no, I mean, even from my... Especially, I think, from my generation, because I used to come here in the 80s, you know, uh, when I was very young and, and uh, uh, early 80s. And it was, God, it's, it's changed so much <laughs> uh, from then. <laughs> did, what did it mean to you to see a country like Ireland voting for marriage equality? Yeah, well, I mean, it's all, it's all, I mean, I, I, certainly having Ireland do it is, 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 a, is a massive um, sea change in, in the whole question worldwide. As was America, both America. I mean, when Canada did it, it's, it was fantastic. And, and, and Spain and so forth, it's interesting. But those two countries, especially with their history and, and how important they are culturally, uh, is, very, is, is, is fantastic. Um, I will say, though, that gay rights is still a huge human rights issue uh, throughout the rest of the world. I mean, I think we, as, as, as much as we keep kind of making strides in, 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 in marriage equality and, and in uh, gender equality and, and stuff, we still have to really remember that, it's, that it is a matter of life and death in other parts, in most of the world. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and there are many places where it's going backwards and there is a backlash to this. So it's, we're kind of mid-battle, <laughs> I would say. Um, but it is very exciting that Ireland has, has done that. Battles. I, I remember interviewing uh, Peggy Seeger. Uh, oh, yeah. So we're two years she's ago. A bat- a few she's months a, she's after. a warrior. She's a warrior, <laughs> that's for sure. A few months after <laughs> Pete Seeger died. And, yeah. and talking to her, you know, it struck me that there was this generation of people who, who carried an amazing energy for the battle towards a better life. Yes. Which, uh, they weren't afraid to, to fight for what they believed in. They yeah. believed it was possible, for instance, through music yeah, to yeah, achieve yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder if you miss that in a way in a younger generation of musical artists? Is it, or is that in a, almost an inevitable change? Well, I think there was shifts. a certain idealism and a kind of... In a sense, um, for my parents' generations, the generation that, that, that mine really didn't uh, experience as much. I mean, for one thing, I don't know, there was nothing to really combat against uh, when I was growing up. Uh, the baby boomers were so wrapped up in themselves. <laughs> and uh, and I mean, it was just more confusing than anything else. But, uh, but, but it was, and, 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 and you know, it, it's a different. It's a different situation. Also, I think for me, especially uh, when AIDS hit at, at, at such a crucial time. I mean, it was right when I hit puberty. Was when was when that occurred, and and which is sadly still with us. I mean, that really kind of, I don't know. The, it really uh, shifted the the kind of um, the fun of it all. <laughs> and uh, so so yeah, it is it is it is different, unfortunately. Issues though, like. Climate change, yes. for instance. I yes. think that's something that you would feel passionate about. Oh, yes. No, I do. I do feel passionate about it. I feel passionate about a lot of things. Um, I, I'm also a little jet-lagged. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we won't talk about Don't, 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 don't accuse yeah. me of, of being dispassionate. <laughs> um, I, I will say, though, I, I think the big thing in America right now, honestly, that has been the most upsetting is gun, gun violence and, and, and what's been going. I mean, even today... 
hearing about these these uh, these terrible things with knives and swords in Europe. I mean, on one in hand, and in Sweden, and mm-hmm. also in, in England and, and and around. I mean, it's it's a terrible thing, but it, but but because it's a, a sword or a knife, you know, you're not used, losing you know twenty people in the in the process. So so and and, and America's really become desensitized from this from just the sheer carnage of it all, and and that that to me is, has been something that's been really important to not lose your your sense of purpose over because it is it's just so radically um horrifying <laughs> and uh and so so that i've been thinking a lot about that i suppose it, president obama has been speaking out yeah, and, and, yeah. and 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 trying in a way to to push something in relation to gun control yes yes but that lobby seems so powerful in the it states it does it does but it is i don't know it's something's got to give i mean it's really it's really it's really terrible so Tell me about um, performance, about yes. uh, the whole business of putting a show together. And do you follow a particular, generally a set, given set list? Do you like to to Ooh. experiment, to change? I, I mean, I'm not. I, I set up a set list every night, and 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 oftentimes I, I switch it for for each show I'm doing. I'm not at all a jam person. I, I don't know how to kind of riff. Uh, on things, I, I my my arrangements are very settled, and 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 how I sing and so forth. Um, that being said, I do enjoy in between songs to kind of you know take the temperature of of that particular evening and and switch it up a bit. I'm also really enjoying. A lot changed for me after I did the Judy Garland show because um, what before then I was. Very much at the mercy of you know my feelings, um, and and how I, you know I was you know going to conquer the the muse that evening. Um, but once I did the Judy show, I realized there's it, there is something important in pronouncing your lyrics, <laughs> and 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 hitting the right note. Um, so <laughs> so I got a little more precise about it after after I did that concert, and it was less about the spirit of it all. So so I got a little more technical. It's interesting because we, we'd asked uh, if audience members might give us a few questions as well, and one that had come in was from John O'D asking if if uh, you have any fallback. Uh, in terms of a piano riff or a lick that you use for soloing in in concert, you know, no. is this something you go back to? No, yes, no, no, I just um, I have a strange. I think I was brought. I think I, I actually blame it on the nuns, <laughs> as most of this country does. Um, <laughs> growing up, uh, who were because I, I was taught by nuns uh, piano. Some of them were quite good, but the majority of them were really awful. And. Um, were quite strict and would you know, like hit you and stuff if you hit the wrong note. So I was a little bit traumatized, <laughs> especially their breath. <laughs> oh, they're great nuns too, but there's some really scary ones. Okay. <laughs> was it a particular order? Uh, Saint Marie de Jesus or something like that. Yeah. Mothers of Jesus, I think. Yes. <laughs> I've just been reading reviews, only reviews so far, of, of uh, Elvis Costello's memoir, yes. uh, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink. Okay. It's a great title. Um, and I wondered if you have any plans at all or oh. hopes to write. Well, you story, know, to write my, as I said before, my aunt, 
my two aunts, uh, Janie and Anna, they, they, they are releasing a book. My sister is writing a book, Martha Wainwright. My father is coming out with a book as well, loud, and uh, I'm going to wait a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but are you, are, do you keep notes? Oh, do you keep track you know, of life? I, I don't know if I keep notes, but I've definitely started to kind of gather my thoughts and, and also... I've been realizing um, just how uh, amazing my life has been, for better or for worse, over the last few years. I was, probably especially after after doing that show at the Acropolis, you know, it really did strike me on stage there, and you know, hearing my opera and also singing there, that uh, that I'm a very fortunate and 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 blessed individual, and uh, and I should. You know, communicate that at some point, but um, but honestly, I do I do want to wait a little bit longer, and because uh, I do I would like to write it myself. Not that I, I mean my 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 aunts have written it themselves, and I think my my sister and my father are doing the same thing. I would like to do it, I, but I know it would take me a very long time because I'm you know lazy. <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> hard to believe. Hard to believe, given the scale of what you've done. You know, you'd strike me as somebody who works very hard indeed. Um, I talked earlier about your sublime voice, and another sublime voice of our time is that of Anthony Hegarty. Yes, of Anthony yes. the Johnsons again with Irish a strong Irish descent. connection. Yes, yes. And you've worked with him. Quite yes, a bit. yes. No, I, I knew. I've known Anthony for uh, over twenty years now. Yeah, no, we 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 hung out a lot together when I was a lot more famous than he was and he was this kind of like downtown pathetic character who we all knew was brilliant but we're always like oh poor Anthony he's never going to amount to anything you know we'll just you know let's go see his little silly show and give him a pat on the back and then meanwhile you know he exploded and it was it was shocking and, and fantastic Wonderful voice. Yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, really one of the great, greatest singers who's ever, who ever lived, I think. And yeah. strong links back into Donegal. Yes, yes, County to yes. And that's that's where the McGarrigals are from. They're yeah. from Donegal, too. So. Close. <laughs> Close territory. And what some people may not know is that, as well as being that remarkable singer, he's also a fine painter. Yes, he's a wonderful artist, yes. I'm an artist, too. <laughs> <laughs> I did all my record covers. <laughs> Christmas posters, yeah. yeah. There's that that strain, there's him, there's you, there's Joni Mitchell, Dylan's done a bit of painting. I mean, you know, the the, the, the connection between music and and the visual arts are are an old, true, tried and tested form, Um, mainly because sometimes, especially an artist, needs a bit of quiet, <laughs> you know, uh, or a singer, a musician, I mean, they need, it, there's something about not having sound uh, being the center of your creative um, expression that is, that is a, a relief. So it's not, it's not surprising. Do you ever almost see or conjure color or shape as you play? Um, I'm usually thinking about my hair. Um, <laughs> That's color and shape. <laughs> uh, honestly, no. I mean, I don't. See, I don't see certain colors. I do, but but I do. Um, yeah, the hair and the lighting, and uh, and I also think about what I'm going to eat. I mean, you know, it's like I, I get. I mean, I, and then I get extremely tied up in these emotional barbs that that that, that come out and, and hit me. I find it's it's either it's either or. It's either I'm totally into it or else you know hair. 
you, you travel a great deal, even coming here. I mean, there's a, there's yes, a huge I do travel trajectory. a lot. Um, yes, and growing up in Montreal, partly then, and the, living in the States, and that sense of movement, I wonder, again, if that affects or influences your work. You know, if, if place, landscape, where you are, becomes part of, of the tapestry of what you do. Uh, yes. I mean, my, my earliest... It was not my earliest memory of traveling, but at one point when I was about 23 or 4, I was going out to do this concert. I was opening for someone in a small club. My first, my first album was just completed and it was about to be released. And I was in Washington, D.C., and the show was in, you know, outside of, of, of the D.C. area. And I was, I was driving along and it was springtime. And there were these, and it was cherry blossom season, and there were all these beautiful cherry blossoms. And I was in a limo back in those days, kind of driving through, and there was, it was this kind of whirlwind of beautiful beauty with the, the whirlwind of beautiful, uh, with the capital in the background and all of that. And I remember at that moment thinking, this is the beginning of the longest trip of my life. And, and, and it really started at that moment. It's never really stopped since then. I can't quite. I mean, there's things I remember, there's, there's, there's memories that I cherish, but it still has been from that sort of initial drive down the cherry blossom alley that, uh, that I've never really looked back. And so it's, uh, it's, and it's very much influenced my, my work. I mean, when you think of songs like Oh, What a World or Being on a Train or a Plane, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a constant, for sure. Is it, is it good being a dad? It is, I think it is good being a dad. Uh, it's not easy um, uh, for anybody. <laughs> uh, but, um, but it is good. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I just was in Los Angeles uh, for, for, for a couple of weeks with, with my daughter. And, uh, and I think I'm doing an okay job. I am a slight pushover. <laughs> um, I, I have those kind of... Um, what is it, those frozen moments, uh, and I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> I mean, I've had those, certainly, but just those where you just sort of freeze and you don't know what, what the hell to do, and, uh, and, and the child just takes complete control. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, so I, I, but I, but I know when to ask for help, and, I know, and I'm starting to learn how to put my foot down gently mm. and stuff. I mean, I have to say, in this, and, and I don't, it's, it's a bit sad to kind of, to, to talk about this in the same conversation, but it but it did affect me deeply on my way here yesterday on the plane. I did see that Amy Winehouse movie, um, and just to see that her dad and how whatever I mean, that was an important movie to see, <laughs> if in terms of what not to do if you're a father. Um, so and 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 so um, so I'm looking, you know, I'm I'm searching, you know, for. And I'm and I'm and I'm learning as I go along, and and uh, yeah, I want to be a good dad. So, yeah, that movie, Amy, is is extraordinary. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's, terrifying. Uh, and I, I suppose for me as well, it it was a terrible indictment somehow of the machine yes. that the music industry yes. can become. Yes, and the way yes. it can yeah, actually no, swallow I know. And I and I and in, and in watching that, I was. I was I, the, the positive side was that I realized that I had dodged a few bullets mm-hmm. in my career. There is something in terms of not having had that massive success and not having had the paparazzi all over me that that that, that was that was a, a saving grace, and um, and having had great parents, you know, who at the end of the day 
encouraged me and wanted me to be famous and wanted me to be successful, but 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 really knew how to pull it back and make it about just being, you know, loved. So, what would you wish for your daughter? Well, I mean, I mean, I wish. Ah, I mean, there's the climate change stuff, <laughs> which is uh, I think we all wish for our children and our grandchildren. Um, I think there's also, especially uh, having a daughter, um, I have concerns about you know gender equality and and also I don't know I I, I do worry sometimes a bit about the fame aspect that that she comes from such a kind of well known uh, musical background and. And that uh, and that that has a certain weight to it. Not, I mean, from my end, uh, slightly, but certainly from her her father, or probably more from her her mother's side. So, so that that's a bit of a concern. But she's a tough kid, and I mean that in the in the in the most positive way. She's a she's a little fighter, and uh, and when I first, you know, there's a funny thing. I, I believe it, and I don't know if it's out of desperation sometimes, or if it's real. But but I do, you know, there's this. People say that you know when you first hold your child, you ha- you kind of know immediately what's gonna what the, what the vibe's gonna be. Um, and the minute I held my daughter, the first thing on my mind was, "This kid's gonna be fine. She's gonna be fine." And uh, and I just felt that innately. And, uh, and it doesn't mean I can disappear, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. but but I had I have, and I and she's so far been 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 lived up to that so so uh but i whatever so i'm i'm positive i guess about it all uh we're here i suppose under the auspices of uh, the creative mind series yes. uh, set up by the u.s ambassador kevin o'malley uh, to foster this wider engagement between visiting american artists and people here in yes. ireland i wanted do in traveling do you enjoy that business of meeting people and talking and encountering other cultures and and maybe yeah. Well, I've, I, it's a tremendous privilege that I have. I mean, I mean, I mean, that I that I've been allowed to have, and uh, the, you know, the amount of people, and you especially see that today with with um, you know the internet and stuff. The amount of people who want to be heard, who want to be acknowledged, and you know, have and be respected. Um, uh, is, is 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 profound, and 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 the fact that I can just you know walk into a room and people are just interested in what I have to say and what and what and what my opinion is is it's it's a real it's very rare and uh, and and so so I I have to look at it in that sense. It's annoying as hell <laughs> at times, and and it, it's exhausting, and 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 I'd love to sh- switch off. A lot of the time, but really, it's better than being neglected, <laughs> as the majority of the world is. So, <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. You're going to perform, I think. I can do that. Be sure, great. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank much. you. This is, uh, it's a project of the Shakespeare sonnets, and this is uh, sonnet number 20. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) A woman's face with nature 
There you heard Rufus Wainwright singing Shakespeare's Sonnet Number no. 2 from his Shakespeare project. And that was recorded during an interview with the artist recently in the Model Arts Centre as part of the 2015 Sligo Live Festival in association with the US Embassy's Creative Minds series. On next week's programme, we meet the artist Michael Craig Martin and take a look at his book On Being an Artist, published earlier this year. Join us then. Goodbye. Arts Tonight, presented by Vincent Woods, is produced by Cleon and Neon Loon. Sound supervision for tonight's programme was by Jimmy Breslin.